All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you on January 10th, 2017. Well, thanks to each of you for listening to the show, and I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And a special thanks today goes to Golden Predator, which is joining this show as a sponsor for the first time. Uh, Bill Sheriff, the company's CEO, is scheduled to be with me during the first Tuesday of February to talk about his high-grade Three Aces project, which has drawn some, well, quite a bit of attention, actually, from some of the biggest-name professional mining investors. Uh, so it is a very exciting story. I hope that you'll uh, tune in to hear Bill Sheriff, and that's on the first Tuesday of, uh, of February. Besides Golden Predator, the sponsors for today's show are Dynasert, uh, RN Resources, and Novo Resources. And I'm very proud uh, to have these companies as sponsors. Each and every one of them I have invested in, and they are all of them uh, recommendations in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and uh, Tech Stocks, which you can subscribe to at miningstocks.com. Now, on Monday, uh, RN Resources announced that uh, Gold Corp is taking a 12.5% equity interest in that company. It's putting some $41 million Canadian dollars into RN's treasury, uh, but they not only are buying some 9.5 million shares, they are paying uh, something like a 20% premium over the price of the stock on Monday morning. So that, I think, is very good news for RN. It suggests that this... Uh, Gold Corp is a company that's looking for large-scale deposits, and certainly Arn is a company that I believe has the potential to outline perhaps more than one. Um, that may be asking for too much, but they do have some very, I think, highly prospective large-scale targets that they are shooting at, and they have lots of money in the till to do it. They will have a very aggressive drill program this year. It should be very exciting, and we'll be talking to the Arn CEO as well in the near future. Now, Novo Resources put out some uh, very important information today. Uh, they talked about bulk sampling from one of their lower-grade areas of the Beaton's Creek Project. That's in northwestern Australia. And reading beyond the headlines, the news from the company's 30,000-ton bulk sampling project, uh, to me, looked pretty good. But I'm guessing that the average retail investor looked at the headline numbers of 1.88 grams per ton gold, and they sort of shrugged it off. And maybe many of the people sold the stock without reading further into the press release. So when I dug a little bit into the press release, it seemed pretty encouraging to me. Uh, but to help our listeners better understand what this news really means, I'm delighted to tell you that on short notice, Dr. Quentin Henning has joined me, and he's with me right now. Thanks for being with me, Dr. Henning. Thank you, Jake. Uh, I just really have to try to ferret out what this really means, because uh, admittedly, looking at 1.88 grams per ton, 
you know, small deposit at this stage, it's probably not going to get a lot of people terribly excited. And maybe some people were expecting a bigger number. I don't know. But but looking at it in detail looked pretty good to me. First of all, maybe you can just tell our, our listeners what the purpose of this bulk sampling program was. Yeah, sure. Look, this is a, a trial, uh, basically a trial mining, but, you know, we call it bulk sample process where we collected and uh, a 30,000 ton sample. And what we gleaned from this was data regarding how this deposit can potentially be mined, uh, how, you know, what kind of aspects we're looking at in terms of dilution, grade reconciliation, things like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most importantly, we were trying to determine what kind of grade to expect from this, uh, uh-huh. for example. The, the deposit, as you know, listeners who, who are familiar with our story know, there is a nugget effect at Beaton's Creek, and it, you really can only get a, a concrete answer uh, about grade when you process large samples like this. So it, it provided a very valuable uh, you know, picture of what, what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a 1.88 grade, and I believe uh, that this actually was higher than the grade uh, that was anticipated previously, showing that uh, once you bulk sample or once you bring a lot of this material together, the average is higher than if you just use drilling or some other processes for, for estimating grade. And so I guess in that regard, it was a success, right? It was, was it 14% higher than anticipated or something like that? Uh, correct, but you know, bear in mind we're we're kind of comparing apples and oranges here. Now, the grade uh-huh. that we've reported, one point eight eight grams, is what's called a diluted grade. When we mined, mm-hmm. uh, we took in a bit of the foot wall. There was some internal uh, sandstone beds in the conglomerate that were incorporated in the bulk sample. So it's it's really a diluted grade. The one point eight eight gram reflects, uh, you know, kind of the the lower end of what's really probably in that rock. Um, mm-hmm. We. We estimated dilution to be around 20 to 30 percent, so mm-hmm. that gives you a sense that there's probably considerable more gold in this rock on an undiluted basis. Now, the, the grade uh, that was predicted, the undiluted grade that was predicted by our resource modeling was 1.65 grams per ton. So mm-hmm. in actuality, the 14 percent increase is probably... Uh, higher than than what we stated there, but you know th- we're trying to be conservative and present sure. you know people with a real case. Now the other aspect of this, it we did sample a lower grade area. Um, a lot of people wonder why you know we would sample the lower grade end of the spectrum. Right. Well, I wanted to demonstrate that the low grade, you know, what would potentially be considered somewhat marginal grade, uh, actually demonstrates much better gold content. So uh-huh. we've done that. We've we've shown that. Uh, this deposit uh, carries very good grade, and in fact, that should you know transcend all the way up into the higher grade parts of the system. Right. Well, in your press release, you provided a cross section that I think is, if people take the time to look at it, is helpful in in picturing what you're talking about in terms of you know what you're mining, the mining process, dilution, and so forth. But Quentin, if we look at uh, 20 to 30 percent, it seems to me that we could be looking at something 2.2 grams per ton or something better than that. Uh, if you factor out that dilution, but that's likely to be more costly too than if you scoop up all this rock at once, isn't it? Is it, is it going to be more costly to skim off the overburden that's dilutive? Um, look, you know, it's it's a matter of dilution is is a matter of tolerance. Like you don't want to dilute things too much, of course, because yeah. you know your returns aren't aren't as as good. But 
what we found is that we're able to cut down to the top of the ore body fairly efficiently. And I, I show that in the cross-sections that I've drawn for the, the uh, investors who want to read our news release. I've shown step-by-step step how we, we drilled this, how we, we stripped the waste off, how we mined it, and so people can see very clearly where we're, we're, uh, how, we're, how we're tackling this and where we're seeing this dilution come in. In fact, we can cut the, the top off. No drilling and blasting. It's very cheap, you know, soft material, so we can strip the, the waste away very easily, very effectively, right down to the top of the ore body. Where we are seeing dilution is actually much of it is intentional because we, when we mine the conglomerate bed, some of the best gold is actually at the bottom of the bed. So we dig down into the footwall sandstone, the, the stuff that's underneath the conglomerate, a little ways to make sure that we get that, that you know, higher-grade gold content at the base. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you have to factor in all those, all those different uh, metrics together to determine uh, the optimal way of mining, and I know that's part of what you'll be doing as you, uh, but this is information that's really very helpful in putting together your preliminary economic assessment, I guess, which you are, I guess, still scheduled possibly to have completed by the end of the quarter? That's right. We're, we're working on it now. This data will, will fill out the, uh, the missing blanks, if you will, and we'll publish a PEA in the next few weeks. Right. Um, well, I know we've talked about the economics before, the potential economics, I should say, and of course, we never know until you actually start mining what the economics will be. Um, but you're doing all the work, uh, all the work possible uh, at a PEA level to uh, to get started with this, and I think it's very encouraging. But we did talk about the metallurgy; it's very favorable. Uh, the uh, the mining uh, you you mentioned there is some dilution there that uh, will have to be taken into consideration, but uh, it it looks very good. But and I guess your main focus is definitely on Beaton's Creek right now, right, Quentin? But you do have, I think, very very exciting blue spec uh, target that you're looking at in some other areas. Could you just perhaps speak for a minute or two about blue spec? What are your plans with blue spec? Will we be drilling and exploring that at the same time that you're moving Beaton's Creek towards some production? Sure. Let me give you a, an update. First of all, we put out a couple of news releases late last year regarding drill assays from uh, the, the drill program that was completed in November. There were a lot of assays left in the lab, and we are st- starting to see those come back now that the new year has rolled around. Uh, I anticipate putting out at least another news release or two in the next couple of weeks, announcing uh, you know further re- drill results from BlueSpec. Um, if you know, listeners recall, Blue Spec is a very high-grade system. We've seen some very, very spectacular numbers come out of this project, and I, I really hope to see more numbers like that to present to people here shortly. Um, Blue Spec is uh, a vein system much different than Beaton's Creek. It's, it's going to require drilling. Uh, it's an exploration stage project. Uh, my hope is that once we generate cash flow from Beaton's Creek, we can actually use that some of that cash flow to explore for uh, the high grade at, at Blue Spec. Mm-hmm. So you'll be having some Blue Spec assays coming out here over the next several weeks, uh, Quinton? Yes, we should have some very shortly. The assays are starting to come in again uh, now that the new year's come. All right. Aside from uh, the PEA and ongoing assays, uh, in general, what should people be looking forward to uh, through 2017? We are really going to focus on moving Beaton's Creek forward this year. Uh, now that uh, we've got the data for the PEA, we'll complete that. But our intention is really to move this thing forward to development uh, as, as quickly as possible. Um, people will recall the, the permitting timeline for a trial uh, mine last year was a bit longer than hoped, but 
in, in all actuality, the regulators looked at our data intently like they would for a full-scale mine. So uh-huh. now they're quite familiar with the project. We think we can advance things very quickly from here on out. All right. So a lot of that work that might have been done later has already been done and allow you, right. hopefully, to accelerate. That sounds really good, Quentin. I want to thank you very much for giving our listeners an update and uh, also clarifying the press release today, which I think a lot of people may have looked at and just sort of said, huh. 1.44, who cares, and they ran away. But the smarter investors, the uh, the professionals are certainly not running away. So I want to thank you very much for being with us, and we'll look forward to keeping up to date in the future. You, well, Jay. folks, uh, that is, uh, we, we want to just bring you, uh, tell you today's show. I've titled it Too Many Alligators to Drain the Swamp. Uh, and David Stockman and Chen Lin uh, are my guests, aside from uh, Quentin, who came as a surprise guest today. Uh, Michael Oliver is not able to be with us today, but I, I take note that his work continues to be superb. While most technical analysts were soiling their pants in anticipation of a return to the gold bear market, Michael did not believe uh, that his $1,119 key number would be uh, violated to the downside. So uh, he, he remained pretty comfortable that, that we're still in a bull market for gold. And indeed, uh, things are looking much better than last week when I talked to Michael it uh, looks like we're, in fact, we're not very far from his breakout number, uh, which is 1190. He says if we can finish the month at 1190, we should be looking at, uh, we should be looking at the next uh, major run-up in, in gold. Uh, Chen Lin will be with me in just a couple of minutes uh, after the first commercial break here to talk about his outlook for 2017. Then at about half past the hour, former U.S. Congressman and Budget Director for Ronald Reagan, David Stockman, will be with us to talk about uh, about his outlook and uh, whether or not Donald Trump can drain the swamp or whether the alligators will just be too tough uh, for him to succeed. So uh, don't go away. We're going to go to commercial break. And when we come back, uh, I'll be with uh, Chen Lin. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me my friend and colleague, Chen Lin. Um, you know, Chen uh, has had considerable success, as you know, investing in all manner of markets, and uh, 
I want to tell you that to sign up for Chen's letter, you need now to go to chenpicks.com, chenpicks, C-H-E-N-P-I-C-K-S.com. Welcome, Chen, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, for inviting me. Always good to have you with me, and we should do it more often. Uh, the only impediment is time, Chen. It's difficult to find enough time. Uh, but in any event, uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your views on some of the key markets that I know you're focused on, uh, starting with the one that we are most focused on, and that is gold. What are you seeing for gold in 2017? Uh, I see potentially 2017 could be, uh, could be a difficult year for gold, but it will be a good year uh, to, to accumulate stocks for the long run. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the reason is that there's a couple of reasons, right? The U.S. dollar is breaking out. It's $100 if you put the $100 of U.S. dollar index is breaking mm-hmm. out right. clearly. That's, uh, and uh, the, the reason behind it is, uh, you know, interest rate in the U.S. is rising. The bond, you know, uh, bond is uh, very weak after Trump election. So the... Uh, then there's an interest rate differential. You know, U.S. interest rate is higher than Europe, and then people moving money into the United States. Also, there's a fleeing money fleeing from other emerging markets, like from China. You know, Chinese uh, foreign reserve barely uh, maintains three trillion U.S. dollars uh-huh. at right. the last end of last year. It was almost four trillion two two years ago. So people continue to pulling money into U.S. dollar. That's the headwind for for, mm-hmm. for gold. However, as we as I discussed in my outlook, I see uh, gold mining is different. It will be a stock picker's market because even gold flat or slightly weakened, uh, if company operating in a country that have a weakened currency, so they can still generate a very good profit. So it will be stock picker's market. I see it could be a difficult year, but it could be the, the last. Difficult year. I hope it will be a last difficult year, because usually U.S. dollar bull market lasts about six years, and 2017 is fifth year, so we're getting pretty close to the end. I hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Obviously, uh, what's good for some is bad for others, and so on and so forth. But you've been managed to make money in uh, in in all manners of markets. But uh, before we get into a couple of the other sectors that you really like to focus on. Uh, name a, a gold stock or two that you're really, really uh, most favorable towards. Well, I'm still sticking with the producer. I like the Oceana Gold, for example. Mm-hmm. I've had it for a very long time. It's been one of the best per- performers. And Pritin is another. Uh, juniors. I I have I own a Nova Resource. It, it sounds mm-hmm. a very uh, interesting company, especially with mm-hmm. the blue specs. Results yeah. coming. I heard in a few weeks. That's a very, uh, very good. You know. Stock to watch, and then GoQuest. Actually, today they they have a new discovery, right? Could 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 that be the next tomorrow, right? So yeah, the, sure. The, all these all these are, are, are questions. It's a stock pickers market, and I monitor a lot of different stocks uh, in in both producers and uh, exploration company. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's a, a lots lots to watch in the gold sector for sure. But you you are really also very much f- focused on biotech. Uh, how is that looking to you? And again, I, th- I think in general, you can't really pick a sector in general. You really focus in on individual stocks from the bottom up and figure out uh, you know, what is good to put your money into. So, But what, just some general comments on biotech and, and a couple of your favorites there as we, uh, as we get started here in 2017. 
Yeah, the the biotech is a very interesting, beaten down very badly last year due to the presidential election. Going forward with the Trump president, you know, new president, and they could be change. People are hoping for change, and then there's a baby woman retiring. Oh, we all need a better medicine to cure all these incurable diseases, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I recently I got back in big time of Sarepta, which is my my favorite, and today actually as I'm. Looking, it's up about twenty-three percent. I just the, they, wow. they just announced uh, uh, the 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 data, you know, the patient data. It, it's a very volatile stock. Last time I sold at fifty-nine, when the insurance remember insurance problem coming up, and then sure. it, the short just killing it, push all the way to twenty-nine. That's where where I was buying uh, back again, and then today it's uh, go to thirty-nine. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, I see it's up, up over seven bucks here today as I look at it at thirty-eight fifty-three. Wow! And I thought you were suggesting it might be a bad day for the stock today, Chen, but it turned out to be good, huh? I was very cautious, but I still closed my eye. I was buying at twenty-nine when tax loss happened last last a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Because I feel it, it will be a bad news, but it's pretty much pricing because from fifty-nine to twenty-nine, right? So there's a four analyst downgrade. Four analyst downgrade. You think about that. Everybody wants to sell or they sold. So I would say, okay, that's it. I'm buying. <laughs> so and today it actually it's a pretty bad, but it's just slightly better than the worst, you know, the reduced estimate of analysts. That's why it went up so much. Oh, interesting. All right. So uh, that, that's uh, the biotech. And, and again, uh, to keep track of all that Chen is doing, and he, and he sends out frequent updates, um, you know, many times more than one a day, uh, you need to go to ChenPicks.com. Well, one more sector I know you're very hot on this year, uh, the energy sector. Chen, energy had a good year last year. Can oil and uh, well, what, are, what are your comments on energy going into this year? Yeah, I see uh, the Trump will be friendly with Russia. The oil price likely uh, stay high, but not very high because the fracking revolution. So anything over $60, the fracking will be generating a lot of oil. I don't think it will be be that high, probably around $50. Uh, Still, the strategy is the same. At last year, I stay with, uh, like natural gas, a selected area, uh, which uh, company have very high margin. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, the, so it, it's been working. Uh, part of it's uh, because the market sentiment has been changing. Right? We were just talking before the show. Uh, last year, uh, we got this Ukraine stock, uh, Cup Energy. I mean, I went there right. for a visit. It was two cents. And today, I'm trading at seven cents. I mean, just like two, three months, right? That that's uh, uh, it, it just uh, it just started moving, and also heavily. Also, my my largest energy position still is the Panorin. I have been holding that for five years, and this year it's going to drill the big target. Um, hope I'm cautiously optimistic about that because the stock has a, almost one dollar in cash. And the CEO is a gold bug, which I really respect, and he's very careful about the balance sheet. So I buy and hold for five years. Stock has a move if you consider the dividend. You know, with the dividend, without dividend, stock job, but with the dividend, it's a slightly up for me. Just mm-hmm. five years, for, but right now this year will be the year. I hope. So, are you seeing the possibility of a, of a real breakout in terms of a discovery here, Chen? With yeah, the drilling, and it's off. Is it in Thailand or where? Where is it's it? In Indonesia. It's in Indonesia. Indonesia right. They were in one Thailand. One of the largest uh, conventional uh, onshore oil discovery in the world. Okay. So, uh-huh. uh, so they're, they're, they have forty nine point nine percent. It's carried by this uh, largest uh, of, of a large oil, you know, international oil company. You know. 
So it used to be Talisman, but got bought by the Span uh, Rapazzo, right? So, so it's a big company, kind of moving slow. It's supposed to drill last year, now pushing to Q1. Uh, now they're saying the, the end of Q1, which is uh, two months from now. I, I doubt maybe we we'll, we'll got a little bit pushed a little bit later, but it's there. You know, you need to build a road. It used to be a national park. There's no road there. You know, global warming, the sea level rose so that it's no longer national park. That's why Aaron got that big concession during the uh, the 2008 financial crisis. That's why I, I own the stock for five years. Huh. <laughs> so, interesting. Very interesting. That's a, that's, that's well, a and, and this is a company that doesn't dilute. I mean, they're not issuing shares. They live off their cash flow and they don't yeah, they don't they really their cash flow. It's uh, they buying back shares they, in the past yeah. year. They pay dividend. It's one yeah. of those energy company that actually didn't really take into using leverage, taking on that. You know, partially because the management. Yeah, you know, Jeff Chisholm, he's a go bug. That's when I know he's a go bug, I got interested because go bug is the most conservative people I know, you know, like you, like many, many, many of my friends. So that, that's why I own his own stuff for so many years. Chen, with about a minute and a half or so left, Canical Energy uh, was one that did very, very well for you last year. Do you still like it? Yeah, I still like it. It's a Colombian natural gas. Uh, they're doing some kind of financing uh, to refinance their debt. I don't, I'm not saying financing is no, I don't think it's a dilution, dilusive financing. Potentially uh-huh. could, sometimes could be warring exchange, but I do not know. But uh, according to all the analyst report, they, they supposedly doing a, a, a financing of their debt in the first two months of this year. I think once it's gone, I think the, uh, you know, the, the, the cap of the stock could be removed. And they have a lot of a drilling uh, target this year from oil, from shell oil, from uh, natural gas, and then they, they're going to uh, triple their natural gas production in, in a few years. So very, very exciting, very exciting yeah. company. I still like it. And, and making a lot of money, I guess, huh? Yeah, their their margin is very very high. They they're margin eighty percent. You know, you name another energy company that has eighty percent profit. Yeah, margin. yeah. They usually have twenty percent, maybe ten percent, right? So, and and you see uh, both Cub and Canical having growth prospects quite a bit. Yes, yes. Uh, Cub is is a Ukraine. I've been there. Yes. I was there. You go to my website. I have the pictures on of my uh-huh. visit. Uh, so. Uh, the, the they pre-war they ran out of producing about half of what they used to produce before the war, and then they have all the infrastructure. Natural gas, you need infrastructure, you need compressor, you need all these cooler, all these things. But infrastructure already in place. Nothing was uh, damaged or at all within the war because they're just oh. close to the war zone, right? So all their engineer has to be evacuated. So, uh, but now it's a back to business, and then using they they use this. Uh, process they increase their percentage of the con- uh, of the concession. They they get a new concession. They they build a lot of things. I see they can go back to pre-war level, and the stock was trading at twenty thirty cents at that time. Plus, they have more more now, right? They own more five uh, percent uh, more than they used to, and then with another option to increase another five percent. So to all right, good. Search, yeah. We'll have to leave it go at that, Chen. Sounds exciting. And again, folks, it's ChenPicks.com, ChenPicks.com, uh, to sign up for Chen's letter. Thanks for being with us again, Chen. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because David Stockman will be with us. We're going to ask him if uh, if those alligators are too fierce in the swamp for Donald Trump to drain the swamp. But well, we're going to get David's thoughts on that and uh, as well as um, uh, as as well as his thoughts on the markets and where things might be heading. 
Uh, David Stockman tells it like it is, so uh, you don't want to miss what he has to say. We'll be right back with David Stockman. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Stockman. Um, well, I would imagine that most of you are familiar with David Stockman as a, uh, as a former congressman and uh, more, more than ever, probably more than anything else for his work as the uh, budget director under President Reagan. But he also, then after he left uh, government, uh, was, in, uh, was in an investment banker at Solomon Brothers and Blackstone Group. So... Uh, he has quite a quite a background, and we're really pleased to have him with us. Thanks for joining me again, David. Well, I'm very happy to join you. I think there's some pretty exciting things to talk about. Oh my we, goodness! Uh, exciting after and this uh, new year, new administration, and uh, hopefully new beginning. Uh, at least uh, we're going to be heading in a direction that wasn't more of the same money printing debt uh, building uh, foreign interventionism that uh, Hillary Clinton stood for and that has been uh, the policy of the country for way too long now. Yeah, I, I, I hope you're right. Um, I have some, some reservations. I, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not terribly optimistic and I want to get your feeling on that too, but I want to tell my listeners that they should go to David Stockman's Corner 
Com, davidstockmanscorner.com that's where you can sign up for his newsletter which I've done I really enjoy it you know his you can buy his I don't know six or eight hundred page uh, the great deformation book or you can buy the uh, David Stockman's uh, book uh, on trumped a nation on the brink of ruin and how to bring it back those are uh, those are must reads for sure both of those but there's a lot of material in there and, and honestly it, it's sort of overwhelming uh, unless you really have the time to sit down and, and digest it. What I find with David's weekly or daily, really basically almost a daily newsletter, uh, is that it is very digestible. It's uh, it's in bits and pieces that I can swallow and, and digest. So um, it is davidstockmanscorner.com, and there you can also, I'm, I'm sure, pick up uh, copies of your book, uh, order your book as well. Your books, right, David? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, if you sign up for... Uh, David Stockman's Contra Corner, uh, we automatically throw in a copy of my recent book, uh, which was Trumped. Uh, I put it out in August, right before the general election campaign really got um, cranking. And uh, I I went pretty far out on a limb. I uh, said uh, what I think both you and I agree, that the country's economy was failing, that there were massive bubbles developing in the financial system that most of what I call flyover America has been left behind. I uh, said that that is really what underlies this whole shocking uh, rise of Donald Trump, the fact that he got the nomination when no one thought it was possible, and that he was uh, entering the general election against uh, a candidate who had been coronated years before by the Washington Wall Street establishment. I thought there was a possibility that he would win, uh, and here we are uh, with uh, the shocking outcome that we had on November 8th, and uh, I think a whole new ball game. Now, I want to be very clear, I'm not some kind of raving optimist about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I don't think there are many of these accumulated problems of debt and a Federal Reserve that's out of control and a foreign policy and defense establishment that is uh, uh, really uh, ruining the country, Uh, I think it's going to be tough uh, for Donald Trump to take on all of these, uh, you know, all of these features of what's wrong today. But I am somewhat uh, relieved uh, to see that at least we might be trying something new that Donald Trump hasn't spent 30 years in public office uh, memorizing the group think yeah. and what I call, uh, you know, the uh, catechism of the imperial city. But he has thought, uh, you know, he's got his own thoughts. He did say that uh, Wall Street is a big, fat, ugly bubble. That's exactly right. He did <laughs> say that... Um, you know, our policy of regime change and intervening uh, everywhere in the Middle East and other places in the world had failed. He did say uh, that uh, before we get into another Cold War 2.0 with Russia and Putin, I'd like to try to sit down and see if we can hash out our differences and negotiate um, a more uh, workable Uh, and friendly relationships. I think all of these are good signs, but uh, it's going to be tough uh, to change anything because the embedded establishment in both parties 
totally oppose, uh, opposed his election, obviously. The Speaker of the House, for crying out loud, wouldn't even appear with him the weekend before the election. So the fact that they've been making nice for a few weeks uh, during this uh, transition, the interregnum, I think doesn't mean a lot. And that when Trump is actually sworn in and gets his government in place, it is going to be opposed, uh, you know, uh, tooth and nail by uh, the embedded establishment down there. Uh -huh. uh, and so we'll have to see how it goes. But at least uh, the establishment is being challenged as opposed to, um, uh, you know, being uh, continued uh, in the dangerous and destructive way that it has been uh, really since the 1990s. Well, we can be hopeful, uh, that's for sure. A more cynical view that um, I'm, in, I'm afraid I'm inclined to share sometimes. Uh, maybe that's not a, a virtue. Uh, hope, and, and, uh, hope and optimism is probably a better way to go because if you don't have hope, you're not going to do anything. But um, a more cynical view that I've heard expressed and one that uh, it's hard for me to, to set aside is that the notion that... Um, you know, if, if Trump really, that, that more than likely he'll he'll just go along with the establishment, with the mainstream, with the deep state. Um, and but if he doesn't, if he really tries to stand up for the things you're talking about, wind down the military-industrial complex, maybe go to some sort of more uh, responsible monetary policy or fiscal policy. Um, if he if he really tries to stand up against the deep state, they could very easily arrange an accident. And then I'm remembering. I had a discussion with um, uh, with the author of A Family of Secrets, uh, a very good journalist from Columbia, professor at Columbia, uh, that uh, he, he's been on the show already, and he's talked about how when President Nixon tried to get the files from the CIA with respect to uh, the, uh, the assassination of Kennedy, he never was able, the CIA never would lend him or would show him or allow him to read the files uh, and their findings and that. Uh, in that disaster. So it, it sort of makes me wonder, do you think, David, and you knew a president of the United States, you knew him personally, is the president really the president or is the deep state in control? Well, uh, I don't think it's, uh, you know, some kind of mechanical thing. I, I, would, I think a better way to phrase it is that the president is surrounded and enveloped by the deep state in uh -huh. terms of the permanent machinery, especially foreign policy and what I call the warfare state, National Security Council of Defense, uh, the CIA, all the 17 different intelligence agencies uh, that we have today, uh, and of course the whole uh, range of uh, the Pentagon and the uh, military contractors and the rest of it. So yes, uh, but fortunately they don't always agree tactically uh, on the day-to-day -day issues, and so there is a ability, you know, uh, to maneuver if you're a strong president and you have, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, views, uh, uh, solid views on what mm -hmm. you would like to accomplish and. Uh, the way you see the world. So, you know, he's not a prisoner. Uh, he's not a tool. He's not, you know, a puppet. But it is tough to take on uh, the deep state, if we want to use that term. And we've seen a dramatic evidence of that in the week since the election with this whole crazy Russian hacking uh, uh, hysteria that has been 
fueled uh, by the Washington establishment, um, you know, propagated by the mainstream media, particularly the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, Politico, CNN, and the rest of them. But I think what you can, uh, uh, and of course there's no uh, evidence for this, uh, when it comes to the CIA, their institutional business is to lie, So, and they have been lying for the last 60 years, and their business is to uh, intervene, uh, unfortunately, in the domestic political affairs and elections of other countries, and they've been hacking uh, uh, the elections of uh, most countries in the world for the last uh, 60 years. In fact, there's a study out that says uh, you know, we have uh, intervened in 81 different elections uh, between 1948 when they uh, got involved heavily in the important Italian election as the Cold War was gaining steam uh, until, uh, you know, the uh, Kiev uh, uh, coup in uh, 2014, where very clearly the State Department, the CIA, the National Endowment for Democracy, and the rest of the deep state institutions were heavily involved in encouraging, funding, and uh, 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 bringing to fruition the coup that threw out a constitutionally elected government. So my point is that uh, the hypocrisy of what we've seen in the last a uh, few weeks is astounding. The evidence that they have provided is totally uh, absent. It's all, uh, you know, we assess, which is another way of saying we guess, which is another way of saying it's just all surmise and conjecture. Uh, the matters at issue here, uh, the Podesta emails and the DNC emails, were uh, published on WikiLeaks, and Julian Assange says uh, he didn't get them from the Russians. I believe him. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know that he's ever lied, <laughs> whereas I know the CIA uh, has never actually told the public the truth, for the most no. part. So, But I guess the point I'm dwelling on here is Trump has actually, to some very substantial degree, stood up uh, to that gale force, uh, he hasn't completely uh, capitulated. Yeah. Uh, he's been kind of bob bobbing and weaving. I'm kind of impressed by that. But more importantly, it's forced the kind of usual right-wing Republican neocon hawks right. to kind of you know rethink things a little bit because they don't want to play into the hands of the Democratic establishment and the Obama administration that's you know, uh, propagating all this. Uh, on the other hand, they've gotten so Russia-phobic over the years from listening to this neocon nonsense that I think they're confused. But I see hope in that because uh, as they try to defend the, the party and uh, their, uh, the uh, winning candidate, the Republican who won, uh, at least uh, they're beginning to raise some doubts about the veracity and um, uh, the veracity of what uh, the national security apparatus is mainly leaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, they haven't put out any definitive uh, documented uh, statement mm -hmm. at all. And I think that's a good thing. When I saw the other night uh, the Hannity giving one hour of time to an extended interview uh, with Julian Assange, Right. I said, well, wait a, wait a minute, maybe uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, in his uh, 
you know, odd way of tweeting and uh, disrupting uh, may at least begin to loosen up the grip of the national security state mm-hmm. and uh, pave the way uh, for some alternative possibilities. Now, I know it all could go bad. Um, but uh, at least there's a start here, there's some daylight, and I think that's uh, somewhat encouraging. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Hannity had always been pretty much a, a neocon, I would say, almost a real hard militaristic sort of a fellow, and um, um, yeah, I think it's it's opening up some things. I, I The hypocrisy, as you point out, I think it was uh, it was Clapper the other day that talked about, uh, I think one of the congressmen was saying, well, did you really uh, punish the Russians for hacking into us? And, uh, and Clapper said, well, you know, um, those, who, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones or something like that. Yes, I that thought that, that was a very important, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I thought that was a very important admission. It mm-hmm. obviously wasn't picked up by the mainstream media. It went right no. over their head. But right. what he's really talking about is that at NASA, NSA, the place that uh, he used to run, now he's director of the whole thing, there is a, a huge division called TAO for Targeted Access Operations. That's a fancy government euphemism uh, for uh, the biggest hacking operation in the world. There is a multi-billion dollar budget there. There are 2,000 people, some of the smartest computer geeks in the world who have been hired uh, by uh, NASA or are provided through contractors who spend all their time trying to figure out how to hack into the affairs of every private and public, every government and uh, non-government institution in the world. And what they do collectively is far greater than everything the Iranians, the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, and all the rest of them uh, added together could do in 10 years uh, if they, uh, you know, if they last that long. So, uh, you know, the the fact that he talked about a glass house, I think uh, he was referring to the fact that what we do, and obviously what do we expect in the world? I mean, how uh, stupid do they really think the American people are? Uh, If we are engaging in this massive hacking operation around the world, why would we think that there wouldn't be some response? Why would we think that other countries wouldn't try to retaliate or counter or defend themselves or whatever they're doing? So uh, the point here is that none of this had any serious effect on the outcome of the election. The outcome of the election was because the people in flyover America between the two coasts are fed up with what Washington, I call it Imperial Washington, has been doing, and they threw out the establishment and took a chance on uh, a wild card, a disruptor. And uh, we'll see how that goes, but, uh, you know, it's... uh, a pretty good indication of what you're talking about, that they've gone all out. I mean, this is embarrassing. It's almost McCarthyite. Here's yeah. this, uh, you know, Obama in his last days, he was trained by Saul Alinsky. The reason I mention all this is as a kid, I was an SDS protester. I went to Chicago to march against the war in the late 60s, and our guru was Saul Alinsky. (laughs) And of course, you know, all of his uh, preaching, uh, and it was pretty good stuff for a kid in his early 20s at the time, 
uh, was about you know the uh, the dangers of this national security state uh, and uh, all of the uh, red baiting and so forth that led us into disasters uh, one after another at that point Korea and then uh, the huge Vietnam thing. So I think it's so ironic that on his way out, uh, uh, Obama is participating in this abomination. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's, you know, it's just a, another measure of uh, the embedded uh, power, the embedded strength of uh, the deep state, as we're calling it, and why uh, you know, Donald Trump is going to be up against forces that I think he can't even uh, imagine uh, or hasn't in his uh, wildest uh, dreams. Mm -hmm. But he's going to be facing them down pretty soon, and we'll see how it goes. Well, it sure seems to me that if they had a draft, David, as they did back when you and I were young folks, uh, we were young fellows during the, during those days, uh, that the American people would not be taking all of this foreign intervention as uh, as passively as they are. Uh, I want to ask you because one of the keys you said one of the first things that Trump needs to do to drain the swamp uh, is to engage in a non-interventionist a non-interventionist American first foreign policy. Well, it sounds, uh, the non-interventionist part at least sounds like Ron Paul. Uh, the American first idea of, of, it seems to me though that Trump's message is as much as anything wanting to build up the military, wanting to make America great in part by the strong foreign policy. And as you pointed out in one of your pieces recently, my goodness, we've got bases all around the world, everywhere. We're surrounding uh, Russia right now. The NATO is surrounding Russia. Uh, huge numbers of people. And yet we have this hysteria here about Putin being a danger to us and all this. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, but. Yeah, you know, as, as a way of showing the absurdity of that, maybe you read it one time I wrote in my blog. Uh, as I sit here on the 19th floor apartment where I live in New York City, uh, above the East River, I can see Russia from here. <laughs> but I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it in the Sarah Palin sense of uh, spying the Siberian mainland uh, from Anchorage or wherever she was. But the GDP of Greater New York is 1.6 trillion. The GDP of all of Russia is 1.3 trillion. In other words, there's more GDP that you can see from my apartment or your location in New York City than um, uh, the entirety of Russia. So it's 7% of our GDP. It has a defense budget, maybe 50, 60 billion, however you measure it, one-tenth uh, of the massive armada that we have uh, positioned all around the world. So it's not a threat to the security of any single person in the United States, uh, and it's not even, there isn't a case that it has been aggressive other than being sensitive about what happens on its own borders. I mean, mm -hmm. the Ukraine has been part of greater Russia uh, for four or five hundred years, and the Crimea was actually purchased by Catherine the Great for good money in 1783 and ended up as part of the Ukraine only because of some deal that Khrushchev made uh, during the communist era. So all of this nonsense about um, an aggressive uh, Russia or a, uh, you know, uh, Putin who's, you know, compared to Hitler, which is absolute nonsense, 
wanting to recreate the Soviet Union. This is just such silly, pitifully stupid, content-free neocon rhetoric that, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that serious uh, adult people uh, 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 believe it or propagate it, yet read the New York Times every day, yeah. and that's what you'll see. And if you want to see real nonsense, uh, look at the Washington Post, which has now become uh, a caricature of itself. When I was growing up in Washington, you know, I worked on Capitol Hill in the early 70s, and then I was a congressman in 76. But that was during the Watergate era, and the Washington Post was the great beacon of, uh, you know, uh, honesty, uh, uh, truth speaking to power, you know, so to speak. Yeah. And today, it is a pathetic tool of the deep state. You can't, uh, uh, you know, express it in any other way. And I, I would just mention, um, because you mentioned my blog, you know, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, they had this totally trumped up, fatuous, ridiculous story uh, about the 200 uh, sites, you know, blogs and websites and so forth that were either witting or unwitting tools of uh, Putin and Russia and that they were part of this whole Russian campaign to hack American democracy and so forth. Well, I was very proud to notice that Contra Corner, my blog, was on oh. that list. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it was kind of funny. I'd never heard from Putin. I never get any instructions. I'm just sort of out here by myself, uh, you know, uh, having to be a, uh, I think they called it a useful idiot, uh, without, without any, uh, without any uh, instructions, uh, any coded messages. I get nothing uh, by way of courier or email, but I guess I'm just out here, uh, uh, reading what I can find uh, in the public press and in Wikipedia, and mm -hmm. uh, apparently that makes me a uh, you know tool of Putin. Well, you're you know, a tool of fake news. You're a tool yeah, of yeah, fake news. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when you have that kind of encounter, that kind of experience, you realize how absolutely preposterous and stupid this whole thing is. Because when you look at that list, you know Ron Paul was on it. He and I agree on almost everything. But then there was all kinds of left-wing uh, uh, operations on it, too, that yeah. don't accept uh, interventions for foreign policy. So, right, you know, right, right. institutions like Counterpunch and a bunch of others that I could mention were on it, too. Well, it can't be true that we're all tools of Putin, except that basically none of us are based in the imperial city. And that's an important right. thing <laughs> I would like to get into today. Um the imperial city literally is like imperial Rome. It has become so uh, ingrained, it has become so uh, caught up in its groupthink that uh, it fails, you know, to see how silly and unsubstantiated uh, much of what they say uh, or talk about day-to-day -day actually right. is. David, we're going to have to leave it go at that. We're we're simply out of time. It's just uh, we we barely got it started. I, I just would uh, suggest that people go to your website, 
subscribe to your letter and keep up with what you're writing because you know we you've just touched the surface here with us today there's so much that you provide uh and uh we, we didn't get to the economic stuff that i really wanted to ask you about and all the different ways to drain the swamp but one of the big ones was to start with this non-interventionist foreign policy because we are going broke david and, and there's nothing we can do about it unless we back away from this nonsense as you know and uh, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense why we're doing it. I didn't have a chance to ask you. I think President Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex. There's lots of money to be made in killing people and taking over their countries, apparently. Uh, but that certainly isn't the kind of world I want to live in, and I know it's not the kind of world you want to live in. David, I have to say goodbye because we are out of time. Thank you so much, and I hope we can have you on again sometime soon. Uh, we'll continue. There's a lot of swamp to drain. The deep end is the Pentagon, and that's why I think it was useful to start this conversation with the foreign policy and the warfare state issues, because unless Trump can take that on, uh, I don't think he's going to make much progress. We're not going to make it. All right. Well, thank you very much. We will continue to, if you're available. Thanks, David. Well, folks, that is okay. all the time we have this week. Next week, Peter Granich is my guest, and also Michael Oliver, I expect, will return next week. So until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dinosert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders.